But this, this photo and a couple of others are taken um, on the very the second last day of our five-week trek. And this is actually some photos of what's known as the catacombs. And they're actually in Paris. Um, and they're actually uh, kilometres of narrow little um, just tunnels. And on either side are just, as you can see, just layers and layers of stacked up skeletons. Estimated about two million people are just laid on top of each other underneath the uh, Paris streets. And uh, these are people that have been dead anywhere up to 600 years. It's really quite amazing. It's um, certainly uh, left an impression in me and, and Warren. Just on the second last day of our wonderful trip, we ended up with these photos. Um, and I guess why I'm really showing you them is that these people are actually nameless. They're actually nameless and they're actually people that we really don't know anything about. Suffice to say that um, this is how they were buried over the last 600 years. Uh, no marked graves, no nothing, just bone upon bone, skull upon skull. And as you walk through these catacombs, you're just met with this overwhelming sense that, you know, what's the meaning of life? How does life really um, count? You know, every single person that's down, like, like skeleton, that's down there has got a life, had a life, has a story, had um, plans, had family, I'm sure. Some of them are uh, innocent, some infants and uh, cemetery, that's 1789, that particular section. Every single skull and skeleton says is alive. And I was just overwhelmed by the fact that I didn't know anything about these people and the world knows nothing about them anymore. But God did and God does. God knows about every person that's buried, <laughs> uh, stacked on top of each other under Paris. He knows them, he, he knew them, he knew every hair on their head. And it just made me think about life and, and how I just want to make my life count. I just want my life to mean something because one day I'm going to be a skull and a few bones like that and, and people won't remember me, except my family hopefully. Uh, but even, you know, in generations to come, they won't remember me. But I still want to make my life count. I still want my life to mean something. And that's what tonight's reading is really about. It's, it's about not boasting in our own humanness and our own self-sufficiency and our own independence, but actually giving our life and our will over to God. And our reading is from James 4, 13 to 17. And it says, Look here, you people who say, 
Today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we'll live and do this or do that. Otherwise, you'll be boasting about your own plans and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now and we just pray that tonight's message will just unlock some doors for us. Lord, I pray that after tonight, everyone here will be far more aware of the fact that you created us and that you own us, that we are yours and that the best place to be is in the centre of your will for our lives and not doing life on our own, away from you, independent from you, boasting about our own accomplishments, our own achievements. Lord, I just pray that at the end of tonight, every one of us here will be recommitted to the simple truth that to really make our life count, we have to live our lives completely in your will. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, a few years ago when we lived in Emerald, well, it was actually at least 14 years ago now, uh, we lived there for 10 years and, and we had some friends and um, they had this beautiful home, but they had one room in their house. And we used to joke with them because we used to say, that's the forbidden room. Like no one went into this room. And they used to laugh about it because it was just absolutely pristine. It was the dining, the formal dining room. And you know, in all the years we knew them, we never ever got to eat in that dining room. It was just a room that was on display. I don't know who it was for, but it certainly wasn't for, you know, like really good friends, maybe the queen or something. But we used to laugh and it was called the Forbidden Room. And I, I could imagine my friend going in there every so often and, and just checking on that room just to make sure it was still there and, and making sure that that layer of dust was, you know, um, wiped away and just checking on the furniture, checking on the lovely arrangements there just to make sure that, yes, it was still there, you know, popping in every so often. Because every time we went there, we used to just sit in the um, kitchen dining area there just off the kitchen and have our coffee. Even when we went there for meals, that's where we would have our meals. And we never, ever got to go into the forbidden room. I don't know if any of you have got a house or a room like that in your house. Uh, we tend to use pretty well every room in our house. It's quite a robust house. But some people have forbidden rooms. And... You know, I think James, in a way, is, is, is trying to get the message across from this scripture tonight that it's so easy for us as people that know and love the Lord 
that we could make him sort of like put him in a, a room in our heart and say, you know, we know you're there, God. It's great. We'll, we'll just check on you occasionally just to make sure you're not kind of dusty and, you know, we'll, we'll just make sure that you're, you're okay and you're comfortable in these pristine surroundings. But we never really ask him into the central part of our house. We never actually get, him, get to say to him, look, God, come and have a cup of coffee. Come and sit around the table with me. God, I've got some things on my heart I want to share. I've, I've got some dreams and some plans, but, but God, sit down and have a coffee with me and I want to tell you what I think and will you let me know what, what you think about these plans of mine because I really, I really want your advice. I really want I really want you to be part of my life. I want you to come and be part of the kitchen mess and part of the dining room mess and part of the lounge room mess. That's where I want you, Lord. You know, that's really what God wants for us. He doesn't want us to put him in a forbidden room of our life and just go and check on him every so often and then maybe just forget about that room. And I don't know if any of you are like that with God, but I know that I am. I know I am. I know that there's so many times I, I forget to invite God into the kitchen or into the dining room. I leave him in the forbidden room so many times. I don't consult him in the, the minute uh, details of my life. And James tells us that um, really we need to be very careful about uh, thinking this way. He says, look here, you people who say today or tomorrow we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. You know, he cautions us against this. He says that firstly... From this, we're really presumptuous. Do you know what that word means, by the way, presumptuous? It, it really means taking for granted that which we just expect. And, and being presumptuous, we're, we're really presumptuous in the present. We're really saying that, Lord, we just take for granted the very air that we breathe. We just expect it. Lord, we just take for granted the very days of our lives that are mapped out for us. And, and, and Lord, I'm really Lord of that, not you. I'm going to make these plans next year. I'm going to go to a certain town because that's what's going to be good for my business. And, and I'm going to make all these arrangements and, and I'm so used to making a profit in my business that, that that's what I'm going to do. So... We're really presumptuous, James says. We're firstly presumptuous. That's a hard word to say, actually. But we're really presumptuous in the fact that even in the present, even right now, God is gracing us with such good things. We heard Margie say, you know, people over in Malawi can't take for granted or aren't presumptuous about having food or a next meal or that there'll be security and safety in their village. 
but we are. We're presumptuous in our present. And in Matthew 6, 31 to 33, God tells us, don't worry. Don't, don't worry about what we eat or what we drink or what we wear. For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them and he'll give them to us. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given unto you. Do you, do you hear the key? The key for presumptuousness in the present, knowing that we're going to receive the very things that we need from God to sustain us means putting him first, seeking his kingdom first. And James was really putting it out there to a particular group when he mentions these first two scriptures. He was actually talking about um, a group of Jewish merchants in particular. And, and particularly in those years, there was a, an upper echelon, so to speak, that actually were really well healed, well endowed. They were the merchants, they were the aristocracy. They, they certainly weren't the, the peasants and the farmers. And these were the very people that James was talking to saying, you know, don't presume that even your present or your future will be here. Because these people were boasting. They were very, very wealthy. They were merchants and they were used to making money. But you see, James was saying, this could go like that. We could, our life could just be over in a blink. We need, the first thing we need to do to combat our presumptuousness of our present circumstances is to look with grace-filled eyes at what God is giving to us in our everyday life and be thankful for what he does for us. That's, that's the first thing that we need to do in order to not be presumptuous about what we have now. But James goes on to say, how do you know what, your what will happen tomorrow? For your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to live or wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you will be boasting about your own plans. And there's a certain presumptuousness with these people, these merchants that just presumed, took for granted that not only would they have a present, but they'd have possessions as well. That there would be an assurance that through their um, business deals, they would just continue to grow rich. They didn't think for a moment that that wouldn't happen. And I wonder, if we relate it to our lives today, how easy it is for us to get consumed by the things of this world, the lure of possessions, the lure of wealth, even, even less dramatic as that, but 
but even the fact that we can become so consumed by our career or so consumed by our own plans to go off and study or, or to do this and to do that and just presume that this is what God wants for our life. This is how our life is going to look. These are the things that we are going to have, the dreams we are going to acquire, be it a house, be it a car, be it whatever, a good job, good position. We just presume this is going to happen. And that presumptuousness in possessions, God, God hates. He doesn't want us to be presumptuous. In, in 1 John 2, 15 to 16, it says, Stop loving this evil world and all that it offers you. For when you love the world, you show that you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only the lust for the physical pleasure, the lust for everything we see and the pride in our possessions. And, and God doesn't want us to be presumptuous in our possessions. Instead, he wants us to be grateful. To, when, we, when we have what we have, to be so aware of that and to give him such glory for what we do have, to be grateful, to have a graciousness and a grateful heart. Verse 17 says, It is a sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. You know, these merchants just assumed that the future was just going to be there, that the future was just a given and that they were going to live happy, healthy, wonderful lives. But James is saying to us, don't be presumptuous in your predictions, in what, what lies ahead in your future. Don't be presumptuous in that. Don't take that for granted. You know, our future is not in our hands. It's in God's hands. And we... We may not even have a future. Now that sounds horrendous, but think about those people in those pictures. This could all change tomorrow for each and every one of us. In Luke 12, 16 to 21, the scriptures say, Jesus gave an example of a rich man who had a fertile farm that produced fine crops, and in fact his barns were full to overflowing. So he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store everything. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get it all? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. You see, it could be over in just a blink. It could be over. 
You know, sometimes I wonder, where does this presumptuous, independent spirit that we have and that we all wrestle with come from? Um, I'm sure we all wrestle with it. I know I do. And I found something very interesting in the scriptures. In Genesis 2, in verse 9, God talked about in the Garden of Eden, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge and go- of good and evil. And I was at a conference just recently and, and this um, uh, speaker was talking about the, the reason that that people struggle so much with life. And he kind of put it down to the fact that the real reason we struggle with life is that basically we've become too independent from God. We just want to do things our own way. And he took it right back to this very scripture where it says, verse 8 and 9, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, And there he put the man he had formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And basically what he said was life equals God. If we're living in God, then we'll have life. But when man chose to eat of the tree of good and evil and and desired knowledge, that's when we became independent from God. That's That's when it was so powerfully set up in us, this incredible, independent, rebellious spirit that keeps saying, yes, I know you're there, God. I know you're in my forbidden room. Just stay there and I'll come and visit you every so often. But basically, I just want to do things my way. I'll be right. You watch. You see, I can make my life count. I can do it really well. You just see, Lord. Oh, hang on. I'll just consult you on this because this is big. But otherwise, I'm okay. I'm doing fine. And that is an independent spirit. A spirit that says, I don't need you. I don't need you, Jesus. I don't need you, Lord, to be part of my life in every aspect of my life. And you know what the Bible says about that? The Bible says that that's not life. That's death. What is life is living completely in God. That's life. So that's where our independent spirit comes from. And we have to wrestle with that and we do wrestle with that all the time, every day of our lives. Even though we have Jesus living in our lives, we wrestle with that dying to self, that independent, presumptuous spirit that says, I can do things, I'm taking my life for granted, I'm taking my life in my own hands. And this is exactly what these merchants were doing. They were being presumptuous in their future and in their predictions. And then they were being presumptuous in their pride. And James talks about boasting. And he says that 
we're presuming, he says here in the word that otherwise you will be boasting about your own plans and boasting is evil. And when we come to look at that word boasting, we find that in the Greek it actually means glory, to glory. And we've heard some beautiful songs here tonight. But you know, the only person that we can give glory to is God. We don't glory in ourselves. We glory in God. So if we boast, as Paul says, let's boast in our weaknesses so Christ can live even more strongly in us. In Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring. Boasting, having pride, being presumptuous in ourselves, in what we have, in our life. It is sinful, the Bible says, very sinful. So to re recap, to just, just I guess, summarise where we're going, or where we've been. Just remember that you need to expect the unexpected in life. Life is not assured. The only assurance we have if we've come to love the Lord is that we'll live with him forever in eternity. We know that. The word says that. The Holy Spirit constrains that in our lives as we come to know Jesus more and more. But the reality of life is that it is filled with unexpectedness. We can't presume anything. We can't even presume tomorrow. There is a fleetingness of life. I can remember when I was studying years ago, I used to do double shifts, split shifts at a restaurant. And I'd go and do the lunchtime shift then I'd go home for a few hours, come back and do the evening shift. And I was doing this for about three months and I got to know really well the, um, the waitress that used to do all the bar work. And she was an older woman to, than, than myself and she was a lovely woman. And so we just got used to the rhythm of seeing each other at lunch, going home for a few hours, coming back, seeing each other in the evening. And on this particular day, I got to work and she didn't arrive. And we all wondered where she was and she'd actually been killed on the way home from work after lunch. And it just struck me that I expected her to be there that night and she wasn't there, gone like that. Life is like a fog, like a mist. Make your life count. Make it count. It's over so soon. It could be over tomorrow. So what do we need to do if our life is that brief? If James is saying to us here, it's like a fog, it's like a mist, don't presume. Well, we've got to have the right response to life. And particularly you young people, you know, make the right responses now. You should make your life count by staying in the will of God. 
You know, um, James says what we should do, what we should do is say, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this and that. In other words, we should consult God. We should bring him out of the forbidden room and let him come into the rest of the house and just walk amongst us. We should consult him in everything. And, you know, Paul was an amazing man because Paul, in all his missionary journeys, actually didn't make any plans until he consulted the Holy Spirit. And many times he changed his plans as a result of the Holy Spirit just coming upon him and just telling him to change his plans, to not go there, but to go there. So he was completely in tune with God and his will. And this one man was able to bring about the good news to the Gentiles as a result of being completely in the will of God. In Acts 20, 22 to 24, it says, Paul says, And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. Paul was constrained continuously by the Holy Spirit because he was in relationship with the Holy Spirit continuously. He made his life count So how do we do it? How do we make our life count? Well, we know that our life will only count if it's living in the will of God because our life is so unpredictable. We can't presume anything. We can't presume that we'll be here tomorrow. So what better way to live than to live according to God's will for us. And do you know that he actually has a perfect plan and a perfect will for each and every one of you? Everyone. It's different to mine and it'll be different to the person you're sitting next to. But he actually has a future and a plan laid out for you. And all you have to do is consult him. All you have to do is ask him, talk to him, get that cup of coffee out, invite him to the kitchen table and say, Lord, what about my life? How do you do it? Well, just that and one last little thing. Sometimes... Our will is very weak. Sometimes, very often, it's very hard to kill off that presumptuous, independent spirit and say, Lord, not not my will but yours. It's very hard. 
And sometimes our will is so diminished that we actually have to pray and ask Jesus to come with his Holy Spirit, with his will, and meet with our will and strengthen our will so we can engage in unison and unity to follow through, to act upon what God is calling us to do, where God is calling us to go, where God is wanting us to be, who he's wanting us to be with, what career path he wants us to take, what choices he wants us to make. Sometimes we have to stop and say, Lord, I'm weak. I've got this rebellious, independent spirit that just wants to go. Come and join with my weak-willed will, my independent spirit, and guide me, lead me. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. God has a good purpose for your life. God has a plan for your life. Make a count. He doesn't want you to presume that you have a present. He doesn't want you to presume that you will always have possessions. He doesn't want you to presume that you can predict your future. And he doesn't want you to presume that you can be prideful or boasting about what you have because it can be taken like that. So make it count. Live in the will of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word tonight. We thank you, Lord, that although it is a clear message, we're just so well aware that on a human level, we fail to do this very basic thing, and that is to engage you in our life completely, to bring you out of the forbidden room and to have you walk about the total house of our heart. Lord, I just pray tonight that if there are people here that are struggling with their independent spirit, Lord, that they would just bend their knees and ask for forgiveness and ask you completely to rule their heart. I pray too, Lord Jesus, that if there are some people here tonight that have never even asked you to the front door of their heart. Lord Jesus, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so powerfully work in their life tonight through this message that they'll want to open the door of their heart and ask you to come in completely, not just to one room, but to all of their lives and all of their heart. Lord, help us to engage our will with yours, to never presume anything, but to make our lives count by living completely in your will. In Jesus' name, amen.